It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 407 for August 24th, 2014. This week, productivity features added to the 2014 CC edition of Dreamweaver can make a real difference. Tablets are outstanding devices for reading books if you can find a way to add the books you want to read to the tablet. And in short circuits, Steve Ballmer retires from Microsoft's board of directors. HP releases a $200 Windows PC to counter Chromebooks. And the upcoming Windows 9 preview will be available to everyone. Dreamweaver has been a perennial favorite for website designers because it works for people who prefer to work in a visual environment as well as for those who prefer to work directly in the code. With the release of a new and more powerful version of Muse, you might think that Dreamweaver's appeal would be reduced for those who prefer the WYSIWYG methods. That's incorrect. And here's why. The CC 2014 version of Dreamweaver adds lots of features for both coders and designers. A reasonable person might ask why Adobe created Muse, because it would appear to compete with Dreamweaver. But appearances can be deceiving. Muse is designed for users who differ substantially from those who use Dreamweaver, and for different kinds of sites. As I said in an earlier review of Muse a few weeks ago, it is the ideal choice for a highly designed site that's created by someone who's familiar with applications such as InDesign, Illustrator, or Photoshop. Muse is a less than satisfactory choice for large sites, those with dozens or hundreds of pages, and people who prefer to work at least some of the time directly with HTML or CSS code will find Muse to be a little frustrating. In other words, Adobe has not created a Dreamweaver killing by providing a more powerful Muse. The Live View feature is not new, but previous versions of Dreamweaver provided only a view of the site as it would be rendered in a browser. Now it's possible to edit what is essentially a live web page. You'll see an example of a web page on the TechBiter Worldwide website in Live View. It's actually last week's program, but with some of the design features I'm thinking about for TechBiter 2015. So you have to promise not to tell anybody. The first feature I want to point out is not specific to Live View. It also works in Normal View. You click a small symbol at the lower left corner of the main work area, and it opens a view of the document object model. Adobe calls this the Element Quick View. You can then double-click an object, and it'll be highlighted. The highlighting depends on the view mode that's active at the time. In Standard Mode, the text will be selected. In Live View, you'll see a bounding box and the HTML element name and a plus sign. Clicking the plus sign allows the addition of an ID name or a CSS class. So here's why Live View is important. Some features, such as web fonts, don't display properly in Standard View. The headline I use on TechBiter Worldwide is one of those. In normal view, it's just a standard sans serif face. But in live view, the typeface is correct, and everything else that should be happening with that headline occurs. But that's old news. Then the magic begins. 
You can double-click somewhere in the paragraph and a bounding box appears. This indicates the text within the box is now editable. So if you want to change the words that are there, or change the formatting, perhaps add bold or italic or even an underline, you can do that. All of these changes could be made easily enough in normal view or code view, of course, but being able to see the effect exactly as it will be represented in a browser is helpful. In the 2014 version, users can also insert HTML elements directly into live view from a new insert panel. The elements are inserted in real time without the need to switch modes, and that means you see the result immediately. Cascading style sheets are the files that are referenced by a website's HTML files, and they control on-screen formatting. The CSS syntax requires precision in defining the various selectors to be used. So let's say you have an aside selector, and an aside selector would cause text that's in the aside component to be pulled out and placed, in the case of the TechBiter Worldwide website, on the right side of the page. So let's say you have this side selector, and it has a 1 pixel dark blue border. You'd prefer that border to be 3 pixels, light blue, and you'd like rounded corners. You might well be able to work out how to change the width of the border and the color, but the border radius property that creates the rounded corners is relatively new. The updated CSS Designer places dozens of properties at your fingertips, and in some cases it even provides illustrations to show you how a particular property works. So I scrolled down to the Border section, selected the Border Radius Properties for the Aside Selector, and when I changed the width from 1 pixel to 3, the change was immediately reflected on the page. Likewise, when I changed the dark blue color to light blue, it appeared immediately. Then it was time to modify the border radius. The value for each corner can be set individually, but you can also click a lock icon, and that makes all the corners the same. Once you've done that, all you need to do is change the values on one of the corners. I changed it from 0 pixels to 15, and the aside was immediately displayed with rounded corners. Then Dreamweaver automatically updates the code in the CSS file. The new CSS Designer feature makes the process easy for those who understand CSS, and that makes it possible for those who don't. But as they used to say on late night television, and probably do for all I know, but wait, there's more! The 2014 edition of Dreamweaver has several more seemingly small and inconsequential editions. For many of these, I would need a lot of time to explain how they work, what they do, and why they're important. Invariably, it comes down to this. The editions provide small process improvements that combined make using the program faster and easier. The bottom line for Dreamweaver 2014 CC, five cats. Adobe just keeps making me a liar, and I love it. Every time Adobe releases a new version of Dreamweaver, I conclude that they have invented all the features they can possibly ever invent to go with Dreamweaver. Then a year or so later, another version arrives, and it includes functionality that never occurred to me as being even possible. This time, the new features should be a delight both for coders and designers. The 2014 edition of Dreamweaver is possibly still lacking a few features, but I'm not going to know what they are until Adobe releases the 2015 version. You'll find additional details on the Adobe website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website.
I've mentioned my little Nexus 7 tablet from time to time. It turns out to be an excellent device for reading books, but varying file formats and digital rights management software can get in the way. Fortunately, there are lots of workarounds. I've installed several readers on the tablet computer, the Kindle Reader, the Nook Reader, the Kobo Reader, Aldeco, and the tablet comes with the Play Books Reader. More recently, I have added the Universal Book Reader. Although the Universal Book Reader is free, I quickly ponied up the $3.50 required for the paid version. The small payment eliminates unobtrusive ads and, more importantly, supports the developers. Although it doesn't have quite as many settings and options as Aldeco, the Universal Book Reader has the best interface I've seen on a tablet, and an integrated file browser provides access to any PDF or EPUB format on the tablet, including Adobe DRM-protected files. For Adobe Digital Rights Managed Files, you'll need to provide an Adobe account login that's available for free from Adobe, and that means you'll be able to install and read any book that you can download from your library in Adobe DRM format. Probably the most vexing feature of electronic books is the digital rights management that can limit the number of devices on which you can read a book you've purchased. For example, let's say you've purchased a book and you plan to read it on a dedicated reader, but then you decide that you want to read it on a tablet during a business trip. The various readers support different file formats. Amazon's Kindle, for example, can deal with AZW, Mobi, and PDF formats, but not the arguably more standard EPUB format. Readers by Barnes & Noble, the Nook, and Sony can't display AZW. If you want to read books on various devices, you might need to find a way to convert those books. But if the book is protected with digital rights management software, converting the file is at least technically illegal because you first have to remove the DRM. Now, I say it's technically illegal because I hope that the world's book publishers won't sue readers who have paid for books and then remove the DRM software so they can copy the books to other readers that they own. Of course, if you strip the DRM software from a book and then share a copy with somebody else, that is clearly illegal. After all, ebooks are software and therefore come with the same restrictions that apply to other software. You have not purchased the book. Instead, you have purchased a license to use the book. The license specifies exactly how you may use the book, and every book with DRM software comes with a prohibition against removing the software, even if your only intent is to place the book on another device for your own convenience. Older books that are no longer protected by copyright, Alice in Wonderland, for example, have no DRM software. They can be freely and legally copied to all of your own devices and shared with anybody you want to. You may still need to convert them from one format to another, though. The free and open source Calibra supports conversions from nearly any standard format to nearly any other standard format. One of the formats that is supported for conversion is PDF, but don't expect too much from a PDF conversion. If the book you're interested in is available in some format other than PDF, you'll generally want to choose that other format. Some current books are sold by publishers that don't use DRM. These books can be converted easily. Just download Calibra, read the online instruction manual, and start converting them. Calibra even includes a reader, but I think the display leaves a lot to be desired, and Calibra isn't available for Android devices. The fact that a modern book doesn't have DRM software installed doesn't mean that it's legal to share the book with others. But what about books with DRM software? 
A couple of cases exist for wanting to remove DRM software from books that you have paid for. First, you might prefer not to depend on the service you paid to maintain your copy of the book and you'd like to back it up. Second, you may want to read the book on a device that doesn't support the format used by the company that sold you the book. In either case, you would need to remove the DRM software. Removing the DRM software for use cases such as this is a gray area legally. Certainly, if you remove the DRM and then post the book online or send copies to your 15,000 closest friends, you are breaking the law. But if you remove DRM software simply to allow backing up the book or placing it on another reader for your own convenience, I have to hope that the publishers will realize that they're not being injured and leave you alone. To a rational person, this is a clear case of fair use. Keep in mind, though, that corporations and courts sometimes seem not to be overstocked with rational people. There are processes that involve using a variety of downloadable applications to remove DRM, but the process is more than a little cumbersome, or for those who consider technical instructions to be impenetrable, they might be impossible. The alternative is to use plug-in applications that work with Calibra. Calibra is a key part of converting files from one format to another, but it doesn't remove DRM software on its own, and it can't open DRM-protected files. A plugin for Calibra can remove copy protection software from many types of ebooks. A Google search for Apprentice Alf will eventually lead you to K4 Mobile DE DRM, which is one of the many plugins that can be added to Calibra. Once you've installed the plugin, you can drag a protected file into the Calibra library and the DRM software will be removed. Then you can use Calibra to convert the file to any format you prefer or that your mobile reader prefers. Just be sure to retain the converted files for your own use. Posting them on the internet or sharing them with friends is, as I've mentioned a few times, a clear copyright violation. Perhaps you'd like to give yourself a classical education. You can find the Harvard Classics online for free. Originally known as Dr. Eliot's Five-Foot Shelf, they are 51 volumes in an anthology of classic works from world literature compiled and edited by Harvard University President Charles W. Eliot, first published in 1909. Also included is the 20-volume Shelf of Fiction, and combined, they cover every major literary figure, philosopher, religion, folklore, and historical subject through 1910. Elliot said that this library included all the books needed for a real education. You'll find them at archive.org. There's a link on the TechWriter Worldwide website. Many of the books have been digitized, but the problem I found with the EPUB or text versions of the books is that they include a lot of errors, bad word breaks, poor formatting, things like that. The volumes are all available in various formats, and possibly the most usable options are the online reader. You'll see an example of that on the TechBiter Worldwide website, or the PDF downloads. This is a case in which PDF is probably the better choice. Because the PDFs are scanned versions of the text, the files are large, and there's no search function. Or take a look at Project Gutenberg. It contains more than 46,000 free books. DRM is not a concern with these books because they're all long out of print and not subject to any copyright protection. From adventure and fine arts to crime and history, from science and religion to wars and music, you'll find a vast array of topics in English and several other languages. Many of the thousands of books that have been digitized by the Project Gutenberg have been edited, so at least some of the scanning errors have been cleaned up. 
Only older books are available, though, through Project Gutenberg. For example, Agatha Christie wrote a lot of books, but only two of hers are available there. The Mysterious Affair at Stiles, written in 1920, and Secret Adversary, written in 1922. Dozens of other Agatha Christie novels are still protected by copyright and not available on Project Gutenberg. In brief, there are lots of opportunities to load up a tablet with books. Some of them are clearly legal. Others are clearly illegal. And several are in a kind of middle ground that's questionable. It's up to you to decide how to proceed. short circuits, after 34 years with Microsoft, Steve Ballmer has called it quits. He succeeded Bill Gates as CEO, resigned earlier this year, bought the Los Angeles Clippers, and now has resigned from the board because his duties with the basketball team will require so much of his time. Or at least that's the story. Ballmer's letter of resignation is on Microsoft's website. And besides being busy with the basketball team and other interests, Balmer said he's happy with the company's direction under current CEO Satya Nadella. It would be impractical for me to continue to serve on the board, Balmer wrote, because he will also be busy teaching and dealing with the team. So his departure from the board is effective immediately. In fact, the board had been pressuring Balmer to speed up his separation from Microsoft. New CEO Nadella will undoubtedly reverse some of Balmer's decisions, and that would be easier if the former CEO wasn't present on the board. Balmer is still the company's largest single individual shareholder with just under 4% of the company's stock, value $15 billion. And yes, that's more than what Bill Gates owns. In his online letter, Balmer said that he plans to retain ownership of that stock. HP has unveiled the Stream PC for $200. It has a 14-inch display, runs on an AMD processor, but if you want to accomplish anything with the computer, you should plan on spending at least $100 more and maybe double the price of the least expensive unit. The HP Stream is an inexpensive notebook that runs Windows 8.1. The included hard drive is, of course, a solid-state drive, but instead of an Intel Atom processor, the computer has an AMD A4 Micro 6400T quad-core system on a chip with a Radon graphics subsystem. The base system has only 2 gigabytes of RAM and you can't add more. There's just 32 gigabytes of flash memory. You can't obtain a system with 64 gigabytes. And the 14-inch screen has a resolution of 1366 by 768 pixels. You'll also find a 720p webcam, Beats Audio with four speakers, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, an SD card reader, HDMI output, one USB 3.0 port, two USB 2.0 ports. The touchpad is a multi-touch device, and the computer comes with a nearly 3,000 mAh battery. Overall, it weighs a little under 4 pounds. So is this a Chromebook killer? Well, maybe. If your primary operating system is Windows, the stream might be a good choice. Chromebooks have their own advantages, though. Chromebooks can edit or view many Windows-based file types, 
and they're able to boot in less than 10 seconds. suggest that Microsoft will release a public preview of Windows 9 in late September or early October. It'll be generally available in spring 2015, and the code name is Threshold. Based on rumors, it appears that some variant of the start menu will be back. I have to ask why. And the Metro, or also modern applications, will be able to run on the desktop. Other rumors suggest that the Charms bar will be eliminated, and I must also ask why. Windows 8 has not been widely accepted by corporate clients. That's perhaps an understatement. And Windows 9 reportedly will address the issues that have kept corporate IT managers from approving Windows 8. Microsoft is operating on an agile release schedule, and the preview is expected to be available to anybody who wants to try it. By way of recommendation, don't install pre-release software of any sort on a machine that you need to use daily. This is doubly true for operating systems. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.